0: But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: Welcome to Rex Factor.
2: This week,
0: Robert the Bruce.
2: With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali. Wood. Hello! Hello! And welcome to Rex Factor reviewing all the kings and queens of Scots from Kenneth MacAlpin to James VI. This week,
1: Robert the Bruce.
2: This is a biggie.
1: Yes. It is going to be quite an episode I fear.
2: Perhaps the most famous king, certainly one of the most famous kings in Scottish history, British history. Yeah. There's a lot riding on this one.
1: No time for comments. Let's go. You all know the rules by now. <laughs> yeah, start
2: Let's play. <laughs> so, Robert the Bruce. Yep. He's born on the 24th of March 1274 at Turnbury Castle, mm. which is on the west coast of Scotland, and he's about 32 when he becomes king in 1306. Now, we know that to be a good age. Same age as me. Oh yeah. Hmm. And maybe he's the son of Robert de Bruce. Coincidence? And Marjorie, the Countess of Carrick, who seems to have been quite a uh, a character, because by legend, um, his father came to Carrick, having been on a crusade of some some kind, to tell Marjorie that her husband had been killed, and apparently she took a fancy to him and held him captive until he agreed to marry her.
1: (laughs) Oh, really?
2: Um, Now, he's actually the seventh Robert the Bruce. Well, this is, is a bit is confusing. So confusing. They're an Anglo-Norman family that came over with uh, David I of Scotland in 1124, and they were given land in England and Scotland and eventually became okay, sort of primarily mm-hmm. a Scottish family. But he's got some pretty impressive pedigree to him. Uh, for his father, he's descended from the kings of Scots and none other than William the Marshal. Oh, great! And his, for his mother, he's descended from the I- some of the Irish high kings, including Brian Boru. Okay, so he's got he's got the d- dynasty, the legacy, but does he have the chops when it comes to his appearance? Now we will actually have a uh, pretty decent image to look at for him. But first of all, let's keep it traditional. Yeah, how is he going to look on the heritage playing card?
1: Do you know the trouble I've got here? Is I'm just picturing that actor from Braveheart. <laughs> yes. So bear bear that in mind. Probably armed, mm. kilt because he's the most famous Scottish king, uh, armed with the sword. Brown hair, looking fierce. Oh! Well, again, I'm afraid I have to say, <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. I cannot post a, to post a wait this one. Wait <laughs> to post this one. He's the ace of clubs, and he, he is fully kitted out in armour, isn't he? He's got a... a Helm with a cross in the centre, the Scottish lion rampant shield, an axe and a sword. This guy is the business. Now,
2: what kind of pose is it? Is he looking kind of pensive, like he's waiting for things well, to come to him?
1: Well, I tell you what. He, this is mid battle. They've captured him here. <laughs> They've taken a photo right in the middle of a, a battle. Um, he's got a, his shield is already beaten up. Can't see his face because of the helmet, mm. but I imagine. It's roaring. He looks about
2: as fierce as we've ever had on a
1: card. Yeah. I think the artist clearly likes this man.
2: And, of course, you'll recognise the line, rampant from our uh, our, mes- our mascot, Robert the Bruce. Robert the Bruce. There he is, Finally yeah. his time. Um, now, I said that we do actually kind of have an almost photographic image of him, yeah. because recently, because his skull was dug up and right. a cast was made of his head, yeah. We thus have the ability now, like with Richard the Third, to get a really good digital...
1: Hang on, his skull was dug up?
2: Yeah, a while ago. And then Why? they made a plaster cast. For, oh, you know when they do <laughs> <little> <laughs> digging from time to time. Do you know what I'd like to do today? Do
1: good old digging.
2: <laughs> okay, so that happened. Yeah, so they've had it for ages, but they've got this plaster cast. So they've taken that at Liverpool John Moores University and then digitally reconstructed what he would have looked like. So, Ali, would you like
1: to see... I, I definitely would. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, he actually reminds me of um, Shrek. I suppose a little bit, yeah. He's got quite he's got a broad head, yeah, isn't he? Yeah, isn't it? New Sweeney, was it, with Plan B? Ray Winston. Ray Winston, mm. yeah. There, that's who he looks like. He looks an awful lot better with the crown on his head. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh,
2: alternatively, I think if you were around now, he'd definitely be playing rugby.
1: Yes, yeah. I mean, he, he looks... To be
2: honest, he looks trouble. Mm. Would you want to be uh, standing in front of him on a battlefield?
1: Definitely not. Uh, I think the only person I'd dare to take on with him, Edward the mm. First. skeleton apparently was measured at five foot
2: eleven, but as a young man, he's probably about six foot one. Right. So, like Edward, he's quite tall mm. and very bulky yeah. with his head and presumably his body as well. So, this is quite a big, strong man. Yeah. That said, he's also a very well-educated man. He probably spoke Anglo-Norman, Latin, and Gaelic, right? Because of his mother and his father, the different heritage. Oh, he may oh, even yeah. have been fostered in Ireland for a time, It was quite common for spend a few years at the Irish court. Okay. And he did have a love of learning, right? Apparently, he used to read French romances to his troops on the shores of Loch Lomond no, during the campaigns. <laughs>
1: what? So
2: you've got a bunch of Scotties and he's reading A Mills and Boons to them? Yeah. No. Now, a bit of backgroundy stuff in terms of how he comes to the throne. We have the great cause when we lose Alexander III in 1286 and Margaret the Maid of Norway in 1290. The direct royal line was extinguished and it wasn't clear who was actually meant to be king. Mm. So the Scots asked Edward I to come along and decide who should get the job. Yeah. And he chose John Balliol on the basis of primogeniture. Yeah. However, the Bruces felt that they had a strong claim. The fourth Robert the Bruce married the great-granddaughter of David I...
1: It's not strong, though, is it? It's not very
2: strong, and that's how they get their claim. Now, they said that because it was Robert Bruce's grandfather, who was a generation older than John Balliol, they claimed nearness of blood meant Uh, to go to them, because he was kind of closer to the Mm. previous one. It didn't go to them, it went to John Balliol, but when John Balliol becomes king, the Bruce family don't really acknowledge him, and they Mm. kind of keep apart, try and do their own thing. Then in 1296, Edward I goes to war with Scotland, and the Bruce family are in Edward's service. So, effectively, they're fighting for the English against the Scots.
1: To push out the Balliol's to get their own.
2: Yeah, they hope that they will therefore get to replace Balliol. As it turns out, Edward I doesn't really fancy anyone being king, so Balliol is made to abdicate, and Scotland doesn't have a king. We then, of course, have a very humiliating conquest of Scotland, but William Wallace comes to the fore. Uh Uh-huh. Rebels in 1297, um, Robert the Bruce was sent to help quell this rebellion, but he actually then changes sides and fights for the Scots. Mm. So after Wallace is defeated at Falkirk in 1298, Robert the Bruce became guardian of Scotland.
1: Yeah, that sounds a bit like Lord Protector.
2: It's, yeah, it's kind of that sort of thing. So it's right. a noble who is effectively mm. running the country. Unfortunately, he's not on his own. He's sharing this title with John Comyn, who is a yeah. cousin of John Baliol. Okay. So Comyn wants Balliol back, Bruce kind of wants to be king himself. Yeah. And there's a lot of tension between the two of them, so much that they actually had a fight at court. (laughs) No way! Well, I'm banking on this chap looking at him. Uh, They had to appoint a third guardian, William Lamberton, who was the Bishop of St Andrews, to kind of be the neutral party.
1: They properly came to blows?
2: Yeah, properly had a fight at court. Had to be pulled apart. I mean,
1: that's one way of doing it, I suppose. Mm -hmm.
2: Unfortunately for Bruce, it's Comyn who really gets the upper hand, because Bruce... In the fight? Well, maybe not in the fight, but in the aftermath of the okay, fight. Okay, right. Um, Scots um, effect a very good diplomatic assault in Europe, and John Balliol actually gets released into French custody, having formerly been with Edward. And it's right. looking like Balliol might actually come back. For Bruce, he then resigns or is just kicked out as guardian. Right. Because obviously with Bruce's, if the Balliol's are coming back, the mm. Bruce's aren't really no need getting much of a chance. His lands have been occupied by the English troops... His wife has died. Oh. It's looking pretty bleak for him.
1: It's not looking good.
2: So sure enough, in 1302, he submits to Edward I.
1: Okay, I mean, Ed- that's wise, probably.
2: Mm, secures the return of his lands and a marriage to uh, the daughter of the Earl of Ulster, Elizabeth de Burr. Okay. Well, little Rex fact for you, they get married on one of his family estates at Rittle. No way! Which is just down the road from us in Are you Essex. Are kidding me? Robert the Bruce got married in Essex.
1: In Riddle, like that. that's the crow flies, that's about three miles away. Exactly. I tell you what, that is of all your ex-pacts, that blows me away. My best friend got married in that church, I had no idea. Wow. Now, in 1304,
2: um, John Comyn, having continued to resist Edward I, secures very favourable peace terms for Scotland with mm. Edward. So there's still not going to be a king in Scotland, but there is now a bit more of a Scottish administration, and the Common and their allies are all quite well set. Mm. Bruce, once again, isn't really trusted by Common. He's not really trusted by Edward, either. No, that's probably wise. It is wise, because he's got a bit of a plot going on, has Robert the Bruce. He's very um, friendly with uh, a couple of powerful bishops, Lamberton, that we mentioned before, and Robert Wishart, who's this aged uh, Bishop of Glasgow, who was one of the original guardians back in 1286. And they have a secret pack with vague wording, pledging friendship and alliance against all men, with a forfeit of ten thousand pounds should they uh, go against it.
1: So what they—what's the deal? Probably
2: their w- idea is that when Edward the First dies, because I'm afraid, Ali, he's getting on a bit now. I
1: don't want to hear they're it.
2: They're probably going to try and get Bruce in as king.
1: Yeah. Okay. So this, so so plans are afoot. Bruce versus Common. Yeah. Okay. In thirteen
2: oh six, Bruce arranges to meet Comyn at Greyfire's Church in Dumfries. Again, they have a bit of an argument. No. Well this time, however, Robert the Bruce stabs John Commin in the church and his companions then head in
1: and finish him off. Oh, I've never heard it called that before, but it sounds <laughs> nasty.
2: Bruce has killed his rival John Commin in a church. This is looking good for for scandal. It is looking good for scandal. Um, it's not looking good for Bruce at the time, however, because obviously he's going to be excommunicated by the church, because it's sacrilege. Edward I is going to react when this happens. But uh, Bruce is Edward's man now, isn't he? Common was really Edward's man. They'd made a deal, they'd got this arrangement, they'd sorted the piece out together. Right. And then Robert the Bruce, the guy that neither of them trust,
1: just suddenly, just zipped in, killed John Common. Okay, I'd sort of thought that, like, because you said that Bruce had submitted to Edward, that was... Oh, he
2: had, but he's gone rogue.
1: Okay, so this is him doing a Rambo, just murdering someone and going away. So, he's not really got
2: many options open to him. Many people would potentially just try and run away into exile and hide. Yeah. He goes to uh, his friend Robert Wishart, the Bishop of Glasgow. Wishart should technically excommunicate him, mm. but instead he absolves him of his crimes and then puts the word out that Bruce is going to be crowned king. So they all all his allies rush together, head to Scone, and then... On the 25th of March, Robert the Bruce is crowned King of Scots. That was a dramatic
1: turnaround there.
2: Mm. He's gone all out, basically.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he presumably had a bit of a to-do, ended up (laughs) stabby-stabby, and it suddenly turned to his favour. But I can't understand why this isn't as famous as Beckett.
2: I guess because... I mean, I guess it not being a bishop, I suppose...
1: But a king, effectively. Oh, king effectively on king. king, yeah. Murdered in a church. Mm. Wow.
2: Two days later, Isabella, this woman who was the aunt of the Earl of Fife, so she's known as Isabella of Fife, she arrived and she claimed um, her family's right to crown the king because historically the Earl of Fife crowns the King of Scots at this ceremony at Schoon.
1: Not the Because they fought for a while for to get an Archbishop of Edinburgh, didn't they? Yeah,
2: they still haven't got the anointing okay. and any of that stuff. But the Earl of Fife always does it. Now, the Earl of Fife is young and he's at the English court. But Isabella turns up and says, well, we're meant to do this. Now, because Bruce has killed his rival and doesn't have an awful lot of Scots there at the time, they really want to try and get it as legitimate as yeah. possible. So, two days later, they have another coronation ceremony. Right. And this time, he is crowned by Isabella, which is, I think... Probably unique in medieval history—that's a woman crowning the king. Oh
1: yeah, mm. I hadn't. God, that's had such 21st century specs. I'm looking at this with. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that as weird. But that's a, another enormous Rex fact.
2: Yeah, he's king, mm. but the f- prospects don't look that great. There are only a few earls, bishops, and abbots there, plus his family. Mm. Um, the common family were very powerful in Scotland, and there's still plenty of them. So they're going to fight back. And as we said, excommunication, and of course Edward the yeah, he's got obstacles in his way here, hasn't he? His wife, Elizabeth, apparently said at the time, it seems to me we are but a summer king and queen whom children crown in their sport.
1: Well, that's a nice little analogy. Hmm.
2: He probably didn't appreciate it at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, I'm, pro- I'm a real king! Now, Edward's completely taken by surprise at yeah. this. He had no idea what was going to happen, but when he does find out the full details, he is furious. I can imagine. He knights his son, the future Edward II, and 250 other men at this great banquet in preparation for war. And then he makes a vow to avenge Common by the God of Heaven and these swans. <laughs> Why? always well, just furious and just said the, say what you see. <laughs> he did basically just say what you see. <laughs> Brilliant. He's my man. And he proclaimed that there would be no mercy for his enemies. Nobody's sworn on the swans. There can't be. Exactly. Bruce doesn't really do very well. Shortly afterwards, he's defeated in a surprise attack by Eimer de Valence, for the English troops, and he's forced to flee west with his army basically routed or killed. What's more, Lamberton and Wishart, his two bishopy friends, are captured.
1: But he's been in, in scrapes like this before.
2: His wife, daughter, sisters and Isabella get escorted towards uh, Orkney by his brother Neil Bruce and the Earl of Atoll, but they are betrayed and captured by the Earl of Ross. Oh, no. Isabella and one of his sisters are then held in cages hung from turrets in public view for several years by Edward. What? He considered doing it for his, Bruce's daughter as well, but relented on the fact that she's very young seriously neil bruce and the earl of atoll as well as various others who get captured are hanged drawn and quartered when edward said no mercy he meant no mercy
1: i mean i like this man but <clears throat> wow i don't know why that shocked me more than being hung drawn and quartered but <laughs> just they would they were alive in these cages. yes alive
2: in cages on display goodness me mm. Bruce and his three surviving brothers, plus various other loyal attendants, flee to the west of Scotland and then either to the Hebrides and or Ireland, mm. whereas he's got various family connections. Probably kinsmen of his first wife, because they were enemies of Badiol in western Scotland, so he might have been sheltered by a woman called Christina of uh, Garmoran, mm. who's married to his uh, first brother-in-law. And it's while he's in exile that we have this lovely uh, legend in Scottish history uh, on Rathlin, perhaps, this little island just north of Ireland, where he's in a cave or a cabin, depending on who's telling the story. And he saw a spider struggling to cast its web across oh, yeah. the room. And it fails several times, but eventually it just keeps going and it succeeds. And Robert the Bruce resolves that he, too, would try, try again, like the spider, and fight to reclaim his throne. That's brilliant, isn't it? I love that story. <laughs> so, sure enough, Robert the Bruce comes back to Scotland, ready to fight again. Uh, he comes back to Carrick in February 1307 with his brother Edward. His other two brothers, Thomas and Alexander, land further south. But They get captured, and they get executed.
1: Hanged, drawn, and courted?
2: Yeah, so he's lost three of his brothers of basically been cut up into little pieces by edward he's made he's made
1: yeah a lot mm. of other brothers for him. <laughs>
2: indeed however bruce has used this time effectively he's planned how he's going to approach it previously he was adhering to the old chivalric codes of conduct and uh-huh. how you do war now he's going for guerrilla tactics he's using his knowledge of the local area to do raids and avoiding pitch battles wherever he can
1: right yeah good i mean that seems, from the history from all of these episodes we've done that seems to be like the the most effective way of fighting the English because the Scots obviously much smaller forces Mm -hmm. the English
2: much bigger but the terrain and raids and stuff that's where they can use the advantage he also gets a huge benefit because Edward the First marches north to deal with Bruce at the age of 68 but he is old and he is sick
1: but he's hard as nails.
2: Well, the progress is painfully slow, and I'm afraid, Ali, this is where you're going to have to put that card away, because Edward I dies at Burby sands No!
1: <laughs> 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 Alright, okay, you had to go sometime. Done. Who's this? Oh, no. We now
2: have Edward II, who does not share Edward I's skills in uh, military and uh, political matters. Oh. He also inherits from Edward I huge debts, and divided nobles are really fed up with war. So, sure enough, Edward II abandons the campaign and heads back to England to be crowned, leaving Bruce free to deal with his enemies in Scotland without English interference. Right. And he takes advantage of that. He goes about bit by bit with his allies... Capturing castles, capturing various areas, and taking back Scotland. He falls very seriously ill in 1308, but he recovers to inflict a a fatal defeat, really, on the Commons family at Inverurie. And in 1309, he holds his first parliament at St Andrews, denounces John Balliol, and the Scottish clergy publish a declaration of his support, and the French recognise him as King of Scots.
1: That's it, then. He's definitely there.
2: He is definitely there. He then heads... South, to capture all of the Scottish castles which are held by English garrisons. Mm. So like Edinburgh, Roxburgh, all these sorts of ones. The last one that's holding out is Stirling.
1: Oh, okay, this could be interesting. So
2: he besieges Stirling Castle, or rather his brother Edward Bruce besieges Stirling Castle. Edward II brings a huge army north to relieve Stirling and deal with Robert the Bruce... And we have the Battle of Bannockburn in 1314. English overwhelmingly got more troops, but the Scots, much better led by Bruce and his lieutenants, the Scots have an incredible victory, arguably the greatest military victory in Scottish history, a humiliating defeat like no other for the English. Edward II is sent south. Bruce's
1: dominance in Scotland. See, I still I feel know. like it was Edward II that failed in Scotland, not Edward I. <laughs> <laughs> he just died doing it. We've been over this. This is all ground.
2: Anyway, despite this incredible victory, strangely, it really just leads to a decade of stalemate for right. Robert the Bruce. He doesn't get an awful lot out of it. He's dominant in Scotland now. That's unquestioned. But Edward II is still refusing to acknowledge him as King of Scots. He's refusing to grant Scotland its independence. Bruce's health is failing intermittently, he falls ill quite a few times, he doesn't have a son at this point, and he's older than Edward II, so mm. time's kind of running yeah. out a bit, so he's had this great victory, but then nothing happens. You and think, no oh, son. But, and no son. What's he been doing? Well, his wife has been in prison for the Oh, of course. Loss.
1: That makes things difficult, isn't is not it? She is, of course.
2: She released after Bannockburn. So, Robert the Bruce is basically now just trying to force Edward's hand and put so much pressure on him that he's got to come to the negotiating table and recognise him as King of Scots. Yeah. So, he uh, launches frequent and brutal raids into northern England, mm. and then in 1315, alert yourself for another axe Fact, he invades
1: Ireland. What? what? A Scottish invasion of Ireland? Scotland invade Ireland. That isn't... <sighs> uh, hang on. <laughs> they they always gang up on the English, or rather the English gang up on them. Well, they do, oh. but the Scots think, well, the English, of course, are in
2: Ireland, and they've got a base to attack western Scotland. Oh, right, okay. So yeah, the Scots think, well, we'll cut that off, Mm. and also will tie up English resources so that they can't campaign into Scotland. Good idea. And it's his brother that goes off. Edward Bruce goes off and does all of the fighting there. But he still has trouble. Edward doesn't like the raids, but essentially he can just ignore them.
1: Why? Well, because they're just northern.
2: <laughs> they're not going to come any further south than York, realistically. They're not actually going to attack England, and he realistically, he can just kind of ignore it, because England's right. that much more wealthy. Though. And he just
1: won't wait for it all to blow over. Yeah.
2: There's a terrible famine from 1315 to 18 across Europe, which affects the Irish campaign, and indeed, Robert Bruce's last brother, Edward Bruce, is killed in battle in Ireland. Right. And he had named his brother as his heir, ahead of his daughter, prior to this campaign, But now, by 1318, both his brother and his daughter have died. So he's only got an infant grandson left to succeed him.
1: That is the weakness of the Scottish kings, isn't it? The inheritance. He
2: manages to capture Berwick in 1318, but after this, the Pope, who was keen on all the European nations coming together and launching a crusade, Mm. doesn't like the fact that this is going on. The English are saying, God, these Scots, look what they're doing. So the Pope excommunicates Robert the Bruce and uh, places Scotland under an interdict. Oh, dear. And then, John Balliol's son, Edward Balliol, comes to England. Where's he been? He's been in exile in France. He now comes to England, so now the English and the Scots who are exiled in England think, right, well, we've now got a rival candidate. Yeah. Because actually, arguably, Edward Balliol's got a better claim to the throne than Robert the Bruce. Yeah, yeah. And there is a conspiracy, a Sewell's conspiracy, as it's known, to uh, have a coup and place Balliol on the throne instead of Bruce.
1: Okay, how is he going to react?
2: Well, thankfully, it's discovered in time by Robert the Bruce, and the uh, the coup doesn't come to anything at all. He gets on the front foot again. In 1320, Bruce, the nobles, and the bishops issue a united front to the papacy with a protestation of their independence, of Bruce's kingship, and all the wrongs committed by England and Edward I over the years. It's a very famous document, the Declaration of Arbroath. Oh, yes. Yeah, And we'll come to it later. It was an incredibly powerful document where they're really reasserting their independence. Mm-hmm. They're not caving in to the English or to the papacy. It doesn't do a lot initially, but it does start to help to turn the tide of opinion yeah. in Europe. Edward II starts invading again, 1319 and 1322, but he suffers humiliating defeats <laughs> on both of those. He's sent basically running away on both occasions by Bruce and his uh, lieutenants. Uh, pff- He does finally agree to a truce in 1323 to last for 13 years. Mm. But again, it's likely that Bruce is going to die before Edward, so he's still not got a final solution. Thankfully, however, Edward II has a rather surprising turn of bad luck. Doesn't he just? In 1327, Edward is overthrown by his own wife, Isabella of France, and her (laughs) lover, Roger Mortimer. And he is then um, made to abdicate... In favour of his uh, teenage son,
1: Edward III, and then gets a poker up the bottom and is not seen again. The old poker up the bum trick. So, who's this? We have... Oh, yes. Things are about to get serious. Racing
2: through the Edwards in this episode, aren't we? So, Edward III is now king, and if you listen to our first series, you'll know that he is a very impressive military king. But, at this point, he's just a teenager, and he's a figurehead for the regime that's led by Isabella and and Roger Roger Mortimer.
1: But... I have to say, mm. if you were to look at these two cards side by <laughs> side, they look fantastic. Mm. I and mean, what a what a what a war that would be! And now the Scots, of
2: course, see this as a great opportunity to take advantage. So mm. the Scots launch some raids into northern England. Bruce goes to Ireland again and starts stirring up a bit of trouble. <laughs> And so Mortimer, with Edward in tow, launches an invasion of Scotland. Or rather, he tries to, but the Scots outwit him, just as they did with Edward II. And they inflict a bit of a defeat on him by attacking the English camp at night. Now, Edward II could could ignore the Scots, but Mortimer and Isabella have got a weak position. They really need to shore up their regime. They don't want lots of Scottish invasions. So they really need to make sure it doesn't happen again. They come to the negotiating table.
1: Oh, right, OK, so the, he's, got, he's got all the keys there, not he? So in
2: 1328, the Treaty of Edinburgh and Northampton, they acknowledge Scottish independence and they acknowledge Robert the Bruce as the rightful King of Scots.
1: Now, that is technically in Edward III's reign, isn't it?
2: It is technically in Edward III's reign. He doesn't like it very much, as we will mm. see perhaps in the next episode, but it has happened. Robert the Bruce has achieved Scottish independence and his own kingship recognised by the English. Edward's yeah. legacy, Edward I's legacy Oh It's oh, been undone
1: Yeah, it has rather It has been undone by his sons son <laughs> grandsons.
2: And it's all in the nick of time Because Robert the Bruce has been in really terrible health For the last few years uh, In 1327 he was said to be so ill When he was in Ulster that he could only move his tongue
1: Oh, what do you think, his stroke or something?
2: Yeah, well he seems to get a bit better So 1328 though, he's too ill to actually attend this parliament Ratifying the treaty Oh no um, he then seems to go into almost a sort of semi-retirement. He builds a modest manor house for himself at Cardross uh, as his final residence, with uh, glazed windows an aviary, a medicinal garden, and a little jetty for fishing and sailing. That sounds marvellous, <laughs> doesn't it? That's the way to go. I mean, not double glazing, but glazing at least. Yeah. But then on the 7th of June, 1329, at the age of 55, it all catches up with him, and Robert the Bruce dies. But
1: he dies in retirement.
2: He does really. He's kind of given it over to uh, the man who's going to be the uh, the regent. But that's uh, really unusual for a Scot. Oh, and he has had a son by this point as well. I should say that comes yes. along, so he's got an heir. Okay, good. Now, interestingly, contemporaries said that Robert the Bruce actually died of leprosy.
1: Is that hence the uh, leper in the in Braveheart? In Braveheart, so in
2: Braveheart it's his father, but there is a yeah. suggestion that Robert the Bruce himself suffered with leprosy. And we'll see in the images that have been produced by Liverpool John Moores University, they've also shown Robert the Bruce as, <laughs> as a leper. Okay. It does appear that he has a skin condition.
1: Oh, well, poor chap.
2: Now, it's possible that leprosy perhaps is just a catch-all term in medieval period for a skin problem. Right, yeah. So maybe it wasn't leprosy. It could have been another king's bones that they've dug up, so maybe this isn't Robert the Bruce, <laughs> maybe it's somebody else. Could just
1: be psoriasis or something.
2: Well, yeah, exactly. Um, and it's hard to imagine a functioning king in this period with leprosy particularly with all the stigma that would have had
1: and aren't kings meant to cure leprosy <laughs>
2: just touch, yeah, just touch yourself no, no, but it's it's on, this hand has leprosy don't you get it <laughs> um, so maybe he did maybe he didn't but if you want to see what he would have looked like with the leprosy again just check yeah. out the Liverpool John Miles uh, University on hmm. Google but that is it for Robert the Bruce he got that independence in just in time
1: that was smashing
2: but uh, I think we're going to find that there's an awful lot to talk about when we come to review him
1: yes
2: first of all we've got the scottish civil war in effect where he's got to reclaim scotland from the common family and the english who are stationed there right at the start of the reign now it's quite unlikely that he's going to have any success given the fact that he's defeated in exile and has three of his brothers killed within a few months of becoming king
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I feel like this spider thing is really appropriate just because the amount of times he's been in that situation. Yeah,
2: common family have got lordships all across Scotland, much better resource than the english control most of the castles. Yeah, that's not good. But, as we said, he learns the lessons of 1306. He abounds in the chivalric Codes of War in favour of avoiding battle, conducting raids, guerrilla tactics. Mm. And he's properly ruthless in this as well, because he actually destroys most of the castles after capturing them even in his own family lands, because he sees that the key is preventing the English from using them.
1: Yeah, is that, that's that's the main struggle, rather than him trying to
2: play them at their own game with Castle. Um, Edward II actually apparently complained to the Pope at one point that the Scots concealed themselves in secret places after the manner of foxes.
1: <laughs> They're not playing by the rules.
2: <laughs> exactly. And a bit like Edward III, although I suppose it's a proto-Edward III in a sense, he's got his own sort of band of brothers. Yeah great band of knights around him these incredible leaders um so he's got his own brother edward bruce which is a confusing name for this episode confusing um he particularly at the start is targeting galloway in the southwest Mm. there's then thomas randolph who is his nephew and his most trusted lieutenant yeah and also a chap called james douglas who is also quite well based in the southwest and is later this sort of border lord or raider in the south very very ruthless and efficient Okay. so he's got these lieutenants around him who are able to compete and
1: campaign in different parts of Scotland mm. so he's got that's that's a good point so in every little area of war he's got a trusted chap yeah. he's in the middle spider in the middle yeah, of the web indeed.
2: sorting it all out good so, first of all, in 1307, he comes back to Scotland, and in April, we have the Battle of Glen Truel. Mm. This is the first conflict when he comes back. It's in Galloway. Um, a raiding party apparently was approaching him, coming up this very narrow glen. But uh, Robert the Bruce sends men up the slopes to ambush them, so they loosen rocks sort of on top of the hills. So when the English approach, push the rocks over the hill, splat, 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 <laughs> run in, stabby, stabby, stabby.
1: Oh, okay. So there, that's the, it's, we're talking about a very narrow thing here. Mm. Right. Brilliant. Yeah. We then have the Battle of Loudoun
2: Hill in May. So he does actually accept battle here from Aymer de Valence, who had defeated him in 1306 when he first became king. Yeah. This, this is Edward's sort of man. Right. Leading yep. the English troops in the north, effectively. But this time, Edward, um, Bruce uses the guerrilla tactics. So he positions his troops uphill and they digs trenches slightly below where they're going to be, but hides under them stakes. Brilliant.
1: Like um, uh,
2: Japanese traps in the jungle in the Second World War. Yeah, so when the English cavalry come charging at them, they basically get literally skewered. And then because of all these traps, the Scots have also narrowed the front in which the English troops can actually fight. So even though the English have got more soldiers... They can't actually get to the Scots. So they're they've been funneled. Exactly, yeah. they're funneled. So the Eng- English suffer quite a embarrassing defeat. Yeah. Also, in 1307, we have an indication of just how ruthless the Scots are willing to be with the Douglas larder. Uh,
1: uh, larder, as in
2: food store, as in food store. So this is James Douglas, one mm. of Bruce's uh, key men. He captures his own family castle, James Douglas, mm. and he does this by apparently he hid with a small uh, band of uh, soldiers until Palm Sunday at which point the garrison goes off to church. <laughs> so then he storms in, gathers some local support, because it's his place, mm-hmm. and then
1: they charge into the church, crying, Douglas! Douglas! Brilliant. I love that, when they, they, that sort of... Uh, the man the, moment. Ta- Yeah, and the tactic where they know they're just all going to be, well, it's Sunday, we're best all go to church. <laughs> but what about then? No, no, no. <laughs> Ridiculous.
2: Um, drag out the English soldiers and obviously fight the other ones. The English soldiers are then all beheaded... Oh, And then they're thrown on a pile of all the stores, the larder, in the cellar of the castle, and the whole thing is set alight and burnt down.
1: Because-, because he destroys the castles. Yes, so he becomes known by the English at this point as Black Douglas. That's brilliant, isn't it? It's a bit like a, a Russian retreat in the Second World War. Like, to <laughs> take everything with you, leave nothing to them. In 1308, uh, Bruce
2: then heads north into Scotland and um, captures various castles in common territories like Urquhart, which is on the uh, on Loch Ness, Inverness. Oh, yeah. But he was then detained for several weeks with ill health. Mm. And uh, his troops obviously then start to drift away because if your leader's not actually there in the field and you're just sitting around, mm. there's nothing to keep them there. So another common, so this is John the Black Common, as opposed to the Red Common that he murdered. Right. A common, basically. A common, yeah, yeah. Um, advances, he gets his army forward and he advances, He think, right, we can take advantage now, rob the Bruce is out of the picture. Yeah. Let's take them out Good and we point. can win the day. So in May of thirteen oh eight we have the Battle of Inveruri. Um so the Common Army are full of confidence, but then Bruce, despite being ill, takes to uh, takes to battle, he puts on his armour, he gets on his horse
1: uh, while under the weather.
2: While under the weather. Ooh. And the Commons had obviously encouraged their troops by saying it's fine, Bruce won't be there so basically, uh-huh. the very sight of Robert the Bruce precipitates a
1: rout of the common forces. That's brilliant. I mean, whether that you know, <laughs> whether that's built on a lie or whatever, yeah. to have the sight of someone make everyone melt away is cool. Mm. So, uh, common flees to England.
2: Terrible defeat for him. Bruce captures Aberdeen, mm. and common heartland falls to the Bruces. So in 1309, he then heads back to the west, links up with Douglas in Argyll to face the rival MacDougall family, mm. who have got a lot of influence in the west, and the Hebrides, right. that sort of area. And they want to secure the west of Scotland. So they've decided to do this rather than to go south and irritate the English in the castles. Good idea for now. So we have the Battle of the Pass of Brander. Catchy. Sounds like it should be in Tolkien or something. <laughs> yeah, it does, not it? So MacDougall tries to trap Robert the Bruce in a very narrow path, so we're up in the mountains again. Same trick. Well, so this time, Bruce is approaching them front on and mm. going uphill. Mm. But what MacDougall doesn't know is that Bruce has sent Douglas and some Highlanders to climb up the mountain, go along, and then come down on the other side. Good one. So they trap them in a pincer movement on the
1: mountain. Yeah. Oh, just when they're trying to throw their stones, they get... Uh, yeah. Tap on the shoulder. So, uh, MacDougall is defeated,
2: he goes off into exile, and they capture their family castle of Dunstaffnage. Well, this is all looking rather good. So then in St Andrews that year, he's able to hold his first parliament with his enemies in Scotland defeated. Okay, so now on to the front foot. Yeah, so now he's got to deal with all of these Scottish castles that are garrisoned by English troops in the Mm. south of Scotland. So this is sort of 1310 to 14 we are now, the next four years. And again, there's just lots of brilliant castle-capturing... Excellence mm-hmm. from all of his chaps at this point. 1312, Bruce himself captures uh, Perth, led his men in this daring, dramatic attack, crossing deep waters, scaling the way with large ladders. Walter Bower in the Scotty Chronicon <laughs> has Bruce Get himself breaking the gates open to let the troops in.
1: Cool. This is really very good, isn't it? This is what Braveheart should have <laughs> been like. Why didn't yeah. they, they focus on the wrong person? In
2: 1313, they recaptured the Isle of Man from the MacDougalls. Oh, same lot. Same lot. Mm. In 1314, Douglas captures Roxburgh Castle. And again, he uses a bit of uh, sneaky shenanigans (laughs) here. He ordered his men to cover themselves with cloaks and crawl towards the gates in the middle of the night. Again, during another sort of festivities when the guards are a bit drunk and then apparently mistake
1: them for cattle. What? (laughs) What? Is that what they said, the sentries uh, said. I thought, I thought it was a cow. Uh,
2: what, black and white. <laughs> well, I guess they've been dark, they've got these things on, they see a bit of movement, but it's low down and it's a bit funny, so they thought, oh,
1: yeah, probably a cow or I something. mean, I appreciate that camouflage these days would be better, <laughs> but people are the same. You'd still think, well, that's just a fella in a coat. Crawling. Yeah. But they didn't. Well, okay. So, uh, obviously, I guess they let the cows in. Yep, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah okay. Didn't
2: see them approach, scaling the walls with hooks and rope ladders. And I've all seen that. cows do that. Yeah. They can do that. <laughs> all of that shenanigans. So we've got them in the night, throwing the hooks up, climbing up. Yeah.
1: Nighttime raid. Saying moo all the way along. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then in
2: 1314, Thomas Randolph captures Edinburgh Castle.
1: Uh, now, that's a proper castle, because some of these aren't really mm. Edward the First Welsh type castles, more fortified manors, aren't they?
2: Now, Edinburgh Castle, if you've ever been or seen it on TV, it's it's on a mountain, it's on a cliff edge, basically, and one side of it is just sheer rock face, pretty yeah. much. So it's quite a difficult one to get into, but Thomas Randolph has uh, met up with the son of a former governor of the castle, and he knows a secret way up the rocks.
1: Oh, so. I thought he was going to have to go the other route, which is equally perilous, fighting through all the stalls, selling all the tact on the way up mm, to the yeah. front of the castle. <laughs> well, so they
2: have a, an assault at the main gate, which mm. is that way going up the hill, to distract the guards. But meanwhile, Randolph, led by this former governor and various mm. other troops, at night scales the rocks. Cool. Breaks in again up over the walls, gets in and then lets his troops in, captures the castle.
1: Wow, like a ranger assault on Omaha or something. Yeah. Oh,
2: brilliant. So at this point he's basically captured almost all the castles of Scotland, he's captured everything. If he died of a heart attack at this point, he'd be in for a pretty good Rex Factor score with all of this action. Yeah, yeah. But we're only just getting started.
1: Oh, blimey, Bill.
2: And the best is yet to come, because we are now going to have the Battle of Bannockburn.
1: Yeah, I mean that on its own as well. Yeah. Wow. So this
2: is June of 1314. Um, He's captured basically all the significant castles in southern Scotland except the Stirling. Mm. um which pledges to submit to Edward Bruce if it's not relieved by the 24th of June. Now Edward is already preparing Edward II of mm. England is already preparing a campaign to come north. So this sort of adds a little bit of a time pressure impetus. A really big force about 2 or 3000 cavalry and 15000 infantry. This is the English. This aren't is they? the English, about yeah. 4000 archers. Bruce has only got about 500 cavalry and 8000 infantry.
1: Four thousand archers alone yes <laughs> wow
2: but robert the bruce's army is united they're battle-hardened over the last few years he's got the very capable lieutenants in douglas and edward bruce and randolph while edward ii is not such a great military figure mm. and the english are not so well united particularly the earls of hereford and gloucester who are sort of in charge are very much at odds over which of them mm. gets of primary spot It's also been a very wet summer, so a lot of the land is rather boggy, which isn't great for cavalry. And the Scots, cunningly, have uh, created these defensive lines of concealed pits and spikes again. Oh, yeah. So they're controlling where the English can actually I like that tactic. It's Mm. very good. So the Scottish are going to use the burn, the stream, as a defensive wall, and they've got these traps to narrow the front, so the English advantage in numbers is going to be taken away a bit.
1: Yeah, because if you're being funnelled, it doesn't matter how many men you've got, if you can only sort of put... Two or three at the front each time. You just sort of chop like lemmings coming towards you. Just chop, chop, chop. So on
2: the first day, twenty third of June, there's a little bit of action from the English. They're trying to get into a good position to be able to try and take advantage of their superior numbers. And Sir Henry de Bowen spots Robert the Bruce rather isolated and addressing his troops on his small little hobbler, which is like this sturdy horse that apparently the Irish like to use because it's a good way of getting around. A bit okay. Right. So Bruce has just got an axe and he's on a little horse and he's a little bit isolated. And so Henry De Bowen thinks, Wow, I've got a chance
1: to take out the Scottish King. Why has the English been able to get so close to be able to see? Scouting out
2: the position. Okay. And De Bowen's on his horse, he's fully armoured, he's got his lance. Yeah. So he charges at Bruce. Good idea. Bruce is on his little horse, but he sees him. He takes it up. So Bruce no. charges towards him.
1: Like, so this is a man with a lance like you'd see them at tournaments. Yes. Yeah. Versus a man, I'm thinking of a sort of pony donkey <laughs> thing, with a hand axe. With his favourite axe, yeah.
2: Okay. So Bowen charges towards him, goes in with a lance, but Bruce avoids the lance at the Matrix. last moment. Stands up in the full of his stirrups, gets his axe, rather like he has in that card... Swings it with all his might and cleaves the skull of Durbowen, killing him instantly.
1: Whoa, wow! Uh, Graham, at this point, I wish you could have seen that <laughs> uh, acted all of this out. So him uh, dodging like, oh, I said like that, uh, but Matrix style, and then up in his stirrups. That's that's really
2: heroic stuff, isn't it? And then um, apparently his uh, the lieutenants then were sort of criticised him for taking such a risk, and he said his only regret was that he'd broken his favourite axe. <laughs>
1: Uh, that, well, I mean, how much can you break it? It'd just need a new
2: <laughs> handle, wouldn't it? But that is pretty... I mean, we don't usually get in battliness for the kings. We're not always even sure to what extent they actually fight, or if they're just being a general at the back. Yeah. This is proper one-on-one battliness.
1: It's a bit like uh, Manny Richard the I... Mm -hmm. uh marshall marshall sorry Richard I, the first but actually coming to blows yes (laughs) (laughs) or uh henry the seventh and uh richard Richard the third third. but again nearly this is properly actually doing Mm. it
2: um It doesn't really get any better than that for the English on the first day. They tried to outflank the Scots, but the terrain was literally bogging them down. They were seen (laughs) off in a skirmish by Randolph, and they spent the night failing to bypass the Scots and ended up tired and hungry, crammed in quite a bad position. (laughs) (laughs) This is rubbish! I can imagine them (laughs) saying Well, exactly, because Bruce was not intending to fight a battle here. He's right. wanting to harry the English, give them some problems, and then withdraw, because yeah. that's his guerrilla tactic. You don't actually go for all-out battle, because yeah. that way lies problems. However, a Scottish knight, Sir Alexander Seaton, who had been in English service, defects during the night. And he comes along and tells Bruce, the English have done this disastrous attempt to manoeuvre. The morale's really, really terrible. If you attack, you've got a great chance. Yeah. So the Council of War decides they're going to take the initiative and attack. Right, which is completely against his policy. Indeed. So the next morning, the twenty fourth of June, Edward the Second sees the Scots kneeling down and praying, and then declares quite smugly, They kneel and ask for mercy. <laughs> but he's then told by a Scottish knight, They ask for mercy, but not from you. To God they pray, for them it's death or victory. And it's a victory for the Scots ah. The narrow front, the winding stream and woodlands Means that the army isn't able to fully deploy So they're kind of all bunched together mm. And a bit stuck um, There's heavy hand-to-hand fighting thus for the, quite a few hours The archers, the English archers or the Welsh archers Who should be doing real damage to the Scots mm. And their pikemen, the skiltrums yeah. Are targeted early on by the Scottish cavalry Good So they're not able to deploy properly And therefore they're not able to target the Scottish infantry mm. So they've lost that advantage and, of course, the boggy land and the trapped positions, again, the cavalry isn't really able to get into a, a very good situation either. And it's just a disaster for the English. Um, they get trapped, they get pushed back towards the burn, literally into it, so they're drowning, they're being trampled upon. Gloucester, um, the Earl of Gloucester, who's meant to be leading the English troops, has a massive old row with uh, the Earl of Hereford and basically just leads this crazy cavalry charge that he wasn't meant to and gets killed.
1: Good. All right.
2: Edward II sees that it's going badly and flees the battlefield. That's that's textbook Edward II. Isn't so it? rather than organising the defeat so that it's a successful withdrawal, it just mm. becomes panic when everybody sees that the king's headed Fet- off home. Yeah. Um, so and he's forced to flee at great pace because he is chased all the way by
1: James Douglas.
2: And apparently, according to the poet Barber, he had not even leisure to take water. <sighs>
1: Right, that, I mean, that makes it sound quite luxurious, but presumably he couldn't even stop to... Yeah. To, wow, well, so when they say all the way, do they mean, like, to the border? Quite, the a back long, to- quite a
2: long way he pursued him, so he has to leave behind his shield, his privy seal, and its keeper.
1: No way! So the
2: chap with the seal is <laughs> just left behind.
1: So he yeah, is actually, this, is this, this isn't a one-on-one
2: chase, he's probably got a retinue. He's got it. a retinue who are seeing it off. And likewise, yeah. Douglas will have a retinue chasing him. But it's quite his fr- close-run thing. He does nearly... Wow, I wonder really how close been, they got to yeah,
1: Yeah. Um, and also, even his court poet. Why did he... Yeah, have to that is so Edward II. <laughs> what do I need for battle? Sword? Yeah, yeah, poet. Pack him. Get him in there. I need yeah. a man to speak well of my victory. <laughs> <laughs> it is a
2: huge victory for the Scots. So they have mm. to remember, against overwhelming numbers. Yeah. English had such an advantage of numbers. Yeah, And the Scots have never had a victory like this. In fact, I think all the ones we've done, we've never really properly had the Scots defeating the English. An but English king and the Scottish king facing off, and the Scots have
1: won. Yeah, and a battle. It's not, not a little st- skirmish, it's an yeah. epic battle. All the time that we've been doing this Scottish series, when we were doing the early ones and we were talking about uh, battling it tended to be like skirmishes where actually the numbers could have been like 60 people or something. Yeah. <laughs> this is not just in winning but winning mm. on their terms on a on a battlefield yeah. amazing and we're not done
2: yet because mm. he's going to invade ireland of course he is edwards uh Balliol, his rival had patrimony in southwestern scotland and his father had john Balliol had been lord of galloway so the Balliol family have got a lot of links in this area and he allies with the exiled john MacDougall of argyle who was Able to retake the Isle of Man in 1315. Mm. So, from the Scottish perspective, there's a real risk that the English and the Scottish rivals are going to be able to launch an attack on the west coast.
1: Right, yes, yeah, yeah I got you. And
2: uh, the Bruce family, as we said, have got descent from the Irish High Kings. So, Robert Bruce actually wrote to the Irish chiefs saying how they shared the same national ancestry, common language, and custom. And he provides this vision of a sort of pan Gaelic Scotia, um, referring to their Nostra Naccio. Our nation. So it's almost really? this idea of, like, a combined peoples. Of the Scots a, and the Irish. Yeah, united. Because we'll recall from our very first episode, the yeah. background stuff, the Scots are actually descended from the Irish. So not including the Welsh together, at all. Not including the Welsh, the Welsh but I'm is. sure they'd like to <laughs> join in. Join in.
1: in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's interesting. The idea that at this time there's still the idea of uh, their Scot meaning Irish in those mm. early times. The idea of one nation, like Pan-Arabism. Yeah. And they have some early success. Robert
2: the Bruce leads a naval expedition against MacDougall's fleet in the Hebrides, and Edward Bruce captures Ulster. Mm, Good. And then Hugh O'Neill and 12 local chiefs in Ireland recognise Edward the Bruce as the High King of Ireland. The first one since Rory O'Connor in 1193.
1: High king of all Ireland?
2: Yeah. So they used to have high kings where they didn't have someone who was properly king of Ireland, but one of the kingdoms, their king, would be recognised as the like, yeah, top doc.
1: Like leader of a, a coalition. Yeah. Um, but that's... That in it, So he's effectively conquered Ireland. So the English
2: are unable to invade the west of Scotland. They don't have extra resources to invade Scotland during this period at all, because they're committing mm. it to Ireland. So it does, it does do, do a see. pretty impressive it's job. Remarkable. And the ambition... Yeah 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 I think when you know When you didn't give Edward uh, Edgar the peace of all The ambition Because he didn't head off To try and invade uh, yeah. The Vikings Well there's certainly No lack of ambition From Rob the Bruce here
1: I, It's just stunning as well From from such beginnings Yeah When he's trapped in his cave Looking at spider's web Yeah I'd be tempted to stay In the cave yeah.
2: <laughs> We then have Further invasions of Scotland By Edward II Later in the reign, Right Which yeah. are also seen off In a very impressive manner uh, in 1319, he leads a force of 10,000 men, Edward, to recapture Berwick. But Bruce just is, ignores the siege going on at Berwick and sends in Randolph and Douglas to do this charge into northern England. Because <laughs> Isabella is based at York at this point, because Edward's brought the court north. So they just charge for York to try and capture her. Good idea. Because obviously then Edward's going to have to stop. turn
1: round and, yeah.
2: Um, they're met by a local militia outside York, led by the Archbishop of York and the Bishop of Ely, And it features a number of uh, priests. So it's the Battle of Miton, or indeed the Chapter of Miton, as it's known, because, as we've seen, this is the guy that burnt down his own castle with the heads of the English troops in the Larder. Yeah. It's quite a resounding victory for the Scots.
1: Against some priests. Yes. Who can't be armed with with a sharp edge, can they? So they've just got clubs. Yeah. Oh, dear. And sure enough, Edward II
2: is forced to retreat. Yeah. Then in 1322, Edward decides to march north, this time with 20,000 troops. This is more than he even had at Bannockburn. Right. But Bruce just wastes the uh, surrounding region. Edward is not able to keep his army fed and supplied, and he has to retreat back to York without being able to get anywhere near a battle.
1: Oh, he's just such a failure, that man, isn't he?
2: And then the Scots chase after them again. So the Battle of Old Byland, um, again, they're trying to capture Edward trying hmm. to take advantage. They defeat John of Brittany on Scorton Moor using similar tactics that we had up in the mountains and the Pass of Branda. Yeah. And then Edward is forced to abandon his household goods and flee to York. And he leaves Isabella surrounded by the Scots at Tynemouth on the coast, and she's only able to escape capture by boat.
1: God, I mean, this man just insists on losing all his possessions and his wife. <laughs> yes. He's just not going to rest until... I mean, in the end, they get rid of him. I mean, you can, you, can, you can understand why she had enough of him. Yeah, you definitely can. I mean, When you said you, he was having trouble at home, <laughs> I <initially, laughs> really, really was. That is some domestic strife. Well, when we do have the domestic strife, and then Roger Mortimer comes
2: north with Edward III in tow, he's trying to deal um, with the Scots when they launch a raid under Douglas and Randolph. But once again, the Scots just avoid battle, mm. draw the English north again. They have a standoff on the banks of the River Weir. Edward III wants to attack... Of course he does But Mortimer refuses And then during the night The Scots lead a raid of the English camp Killing hundreds of English troops And indeed cutting the ropes On Edward III's tents And it all falls on top of him And this invasion apparently cost about £70,000 For Roger Mortimer But again they're forced to retreat
1: So actually it might not have been Edward II's incompetence If Roger Mortimer suffered the same fate To the same tactics Mm. It is perhaps Scots really know what they're doing yeah, they've been doing this now
2: for twenty years.
1: Yeah, that's interesting.
2: Mm. Uh, apparently, poor old Edward went home in tears after not happy. <laughs> of course, he happy. did.
1: <laughs> of course, he did. I can't quite get over this—that it's they're not just doing well. This—they're just just better. Yes, it's
2: really good. Now he has those early defeats in thirteen oh six, of course, where he um, <laughs> rather he chivalrously offered battle to Aymar de Valence at the Battle of Methven was turned down, withdrew to his lightly guarded camp and went to bed, but without warning, de Valence attacks during the night, just before dawn, and the army gets destroyed and routed.
1: That's cheeky isn't it?
2: And then at the Battle of Dalry um, a month later, he's forced to flee west um, is ambushed by John MacDougall Uh, his horse is killed, he only narrowly escapes himself into exile so less than a year after being crowned, he'd had two pretty bad defeats, three of his brothers are horrifically executed, and he's got his women in prison and hanging in cages, and he's looking at a spider.
1: (laughs) um well when he put it like that yeah um and you can see why he abandoned the code of chivalry when yes. he offered uh to battle yeah. and then was had a stab stabby stabby as an alarm clock and we've got to look at the grand scheme of things sure mm. if that that is that's two defeats yeah but crikey <laughs> yeah. i can't
2: even count that against him to be honest perhaps more significant is ireland so you're asking about the fact mm. they've effectively conquered it probably this is really too ambitious Mm -hmm. we like ambition but this is maybe too far it's a massive investment of men and money for both brothers and Randolph they all go and campaign in Ireland and this is the point where Bruce doesn't have a son yeah yeah. they're unlucky in that the invasion coincides exactly with a terrible famine all across Europe in which Mm -hmm. millions are killed so it's really difficult for the Scottish army to feed itself yeah so it they can't really get out of ulster
1: they're still they're still there it's not like they well
2: until 1318 when edward bruce and about 3000 soldiers are killed in the battle of fort so you lose at that time robert the bruce's heir Mm. one of his most trusted and best lieutenants who's been so crucial before lots of men and it prompts a swell of discontent that gave rise ultimately to that failed conspiracy
1: yeah, I mean, if we were, if it were Edward the and it would clearly, he didn't like to do anything that wasn't conquest. He would yeah. clearly have been going to conquer. Yeah, maybe that was the idea. It had done its job. Probably not in that he devoted so many of his closest people to it, but it did. It did do a job for them in the meantime. Bearing in mind that Scotland is the thing here. Hmm.
2: The other thing is, that I suppose that in a funny way, there's a limit to how significant these victories are. Like we said with Bannockburn in the biography, despite this incredible win. He doesn't quite capture Edward II, and the situation with England kind of stays a bit of a stalemate. He can't get them to recognise him as king.
1: It's a stepping stone, isn't it? And the subsequent
2: invasions, he defeats Edward, but and they come so close several times to capturing Edward or Isabella. That would have transformed the situation. If they just managed... To capture, I mean, it seems incredible that to say we're going to criticise the King of Scots for not capturing the kingdom. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Given that in the last episode there wasn't even a kingdom anymore. Yeah. But if he'd managed that, that would have really transformed the position. Are you brought down by any of those weaknesses
1: or are you just thoroughly impressed? I'm just thoroughly impressed. I I can't see why it wouldn't be a 10 from Mm -hmm. me. Because,
2: I mean, obviously, I suppose with compared to the English kings, we're not. Conquering England like William the Conqueror, or can you? We're not conquering France like Edward III or Henry V Fifth. Well,
1: we're, we're not conquering a foreign country, but no. you're effectively conquering your own in that yes. you're under, <laughs> under English control to yeah. take it all back and have it utterly recognised, and then to
2: have Bannockburn, yeah, and then to have these further incredible victories yeah. and that humiliation for Edward III I mean, he's and actually he is invading foreign countries with Ireland oh yeah, and the raids into England, into England as well. I, it's got to be ten. I think I agree, that's a 10. It's massive. It's, I think that's one of the best battley. Well, obviously, by that score, one of the best battley kings we've ever had, I think.
1: On both series, yeah. i say,
2: yeah. That's a 20 for battle y
1: Scandal.
2: Well, we do have some stuff to go on here as well. Incredibly. I was not expecting this. <laughs> now, the thing that you're always going to be looking forward to, of course, is what he's getting up to in the bedroom. Nuns? I'm afraid we don't have any of that. But we should remember that from 1296 to 1302, he's a widower. And from 1306 to 14, his wife is imprisoned by Edward. Yeah. He's got a lot of time to spend as an effective bachelor. Yeah. And he takes advantage of it. Yay! He has at least five illegitimate children. Charlie Goods? There are five that are named. Some have suggested that perhaps the ill health that affects him throughout his life, rather than being leprosy, maybe it could have been what was known at the time as the pox. It's a factory of venereal disease. It's almost oh. a sort of syphilis. Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm, I mean, that's my theory that I'd like to stick
2: with. He also seems a bit untrustworthy at the start. And this is maybe when you said why didn't they make a film about him instead of William Wallace. Yeah. Wallace is straightforward, just all about Scottish independence. Even when he's just, it's a bit annoying that he's doing it, he will not give <laughs> it up. He is a bit annoying, isn't he? <laughs> Bruce, however, is not quite so obvious early on. He flip-flops somewhat between England and Scotland. 1292-96, to 96, the Bruce family are in a huff with Balliol, and they actually fight for Edward against True. John yeah, Balliol yeah, yeah. and the Scots in 1296. Scandal. 1297, Bruce is sent by Edward to deal with the Scottish Rebellion, but then changes sides. Mm. But then he capitulates with the other nobles at Irvine without actually having any battle. Mm. Various Scottish chroniclers have him present at the Battle of Falkirk, fighting for Edward against William Wallace. Uh, yes. And he is in Braveheart. Yes, I was just trying <laughs> so to picture that It bit. must be true. The horse running away. 12.99, he's back fighting again for the Scots. But then 13.02, when it looks like John Balliol might come back, he heads back to England and submits to uh, Edward I. Yeah. And then 13.04, he's meant to be Edward, but he's plotting again. He's he's all over the place. He can't really trust him. He's
1: Yeah, and I was going to say that's because, he. Um, to me, that would be him preparing the ground but actually the whole um preparing spider- both grounds <laughs> yeah but spider cave business is after that so it didn't actually mm. do him too well at that point he's not really got an alternative mm. yeah exactly so yeah so maybe the the uh, loyalty to scotland is forced upon him yeah. or what? in his defense he probably wasn't
2: at falkirk so actually john of fordon uses him more as a moral that the scots only lose when they're divided yeah and Bower has wallace inspiring bruce to serve his country and that's what sets that up so they're using him more as a device rather than bruce mostly actually is on the side of the patriotic cause during the wars of independence
1: he's not necessarily fighting with edward Mm. he's he's fighting against the commons he wants to be king so so
2: he thinks if he fights with edwards he'll get to be king of scots
1: yeah and it's not really the it's not really the 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 whole problem isn't framed as edward or independence Mm. it's
2: but if you're going to make a blockbuster, simplistic, I heroic see. movie of this, it's yeah. a bit trickier to do this period and not have, and have a kind of black and white picture of him. There are definitely shades of yeah, gray. Yeah,
1: that, that sort of nuance isn't quite as easy as mm. Mel Gibson with blue paint. Yeah. We also have a lot of shades of red, of course, when he murders John
2: Common. That, to me, excuse me, is just enormous. It's not clear what they were actually planning to discuss. <laughs> uh, it may have been a local issue. And that, 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 that escalated fast. <laughs> uh Bruce propaganda claimed that Common had agreed to support Bruce's claim to the throne in return for taking some of Bruce's land and that he then betrays him to Edward. English propaganda claims that Bruce simply plotted to take the throne and just went in and killed him. In reality, Common is really the one that's more consistent in opposing Edward than Bruce, so it's unlikely that he would have betrayed a plot for independence and um, indeed Edward definitely didn't know about it because he was taken completely by surprise mm. and initially when he found out he thought it was just some local ruffians that got out of hand so he sent a couple of friars to go off and investigate
1: a couple of friars to investigate yeah real life cad files
2: yeah well it was a murder in a church you know
1: yeah great okay brilliant mm.
2: Alternatively, it may just have been heat at the moment. They had an argument and he got cross and stabbed him.
1: That's what I want to believe.
2: Mm. But, nevertheless, he has murdered the most powerful noble in Scotland, who does himself have royal blood. He's descended from Donald Bane, mm. Macbeth fame, at the high altar of a church, which yeah. is sacrilege, for which he is excommunicated. And he
1: basically starts a civil war in Scotland. If you were to judge Scandal on the day. Yeah. The biggest punishment is excommunication. Mm. So the Pope is effectively giving him a ten here, <laughs> <laughs> of aside from all the other stuff. Yeah. Have you got anything against?
2: Well, not really. Other than that, I suppose the loyalty one. You know, you can debate that point and whether actually he's just being a fairly reasonable noble at the time. He's got lands on both sides. It's a difficult situation. But he has some illegitimate children, and he does stab his rival to death in a church.
1: He starts the civil war. Yeah. He does a Thomas Becket. He. Uh, has, you know, doesn't waste time. He yes. has all the sexy, sexy. I mean, I can't... I'm struggling to not score this a 10 as well. It doesn't feel quite as strong as... Mm. um ...battliness, but it's eight and above for me. Yeah, I mean, I think I'd maybe the... Maybe if it had been
2: a bishop or something, or if it had been—I don't know—maybe if the list of illegitimate children was a bit longer, like a Henry the or yeah. something, when it's a double figures. But it's got to be a decent score. This—I
1: is... wouldn't like to score it any less than eight. I can't for some reason. I, I'm struggling to go higher, but it's—I feel it's a solid eight. Mm. Yeah, I think I agree.
2: I think eight is a fair score. It's, mm. it's high. it Just somehow, it doesn't quite resonate enough to be. I think that, if but it wasn't
1: for his incredible battliness, he'd have got even higher on <laughs> <Yeah>, that. Maybe.
2: <laughs> anyway, that's a 16 for mm. Scandal.
1: Subjectivity.
2: Well, let's see if you can keep this rolling. The biggie here, really, is securing Scottish independence. Yeah. Because we've got to remember before this, after the death of Alexander III in 1286, Scotland, for the last 20 years, had suffered internal divisions, weak leadership... Recall John Balliol, mm. humiliating defeats to England. Mm. And basically it's lost its status as a kingdom. Edward has just first just removed that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean it, it's it's heavy. But mm. if you're if you're Scottish. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and
2: Bruce brings that back, he gets the independence. Um one of the key parts of this in terms of the mm. narrative is the declaration of our growth in thirteen twenty. So, as he said, this is after the Pope has excommunicated basically everybody in Scotland because they keep fighting England instead of going on crusade. We have this incredible rhetoric stressing Scotland's ancient origins, the oppression suffered by Edward I, and the fact that the Scots are fully united. Mm. And a little taste, this is the most famous uh, extract from the Declaration of Arbroath: For so long as only a hundred of us stand, we will never yield to the dominion of England. We fight not for glory, nor for wealth, nor honour, but for that freedom which no good man surrenders but with his life.
1: Yeah, that's pretty... I mean, this is a bit Declaration of Independence. It, I mean, some have
2: speculated whether it was an influence oh, right. on it. I think probably they're suggesting maybe not. But but it's, it's certainly got that sort of tone yeah. to it.
1: Yeah, that, I mean, that, that has all the echoes of a fabulous movie speech. It's Definitely. Great.
2: Then in 1328, we have the Treaty of Edinburgh-Northampton, where he forces um, negotiations with Isabella mm-hmm. and Mortimer. Scotland will pay £20,000 of reparations for all the nasty stuff they've done in the north of England. But in return, they get recognition of Bruce as king, independence, and a marriage alliance between Bruce's son, Prince David, and Isabella's daughter, Princess Joan.
1: Oh, from Edward II? Edward, the, Edward III's sister. This that's almost back to what Edward the proposed mm. right at the start. Yeah. Oh. Though it's the other way round this time, is
2: the Scots yeah, have got the yeah. boy. They're four and six at the time, but you know
1: <laughs> Actually that is very telling, isn't it? This time it's the Scottish way round. Mm.
2: The border will be returned to how it was under Alexander the Third and uh, England will support having Bruce's excommunication lifted. And and here's the language, and we recall previously this rather abject submissions that Balliol was making to Edward I Here's the language, supposedly, of Edward III in the treaty. Scotland shall belong to our dearest ally and friend, the magnificent prince, Lord Robert, by God's grace, illustrious King of Scotland, and to his heirs and successors, separate in all things from England, whole, free, and undisturbed in perpetuity, without any kind of subjection,
1: service, claim, or demand. If your grandfather could hear you now, imagine... Wow, that's unambiguous, isn't it?
2: Scotland is an independent country. Yeah. We also have evidence of pretty good governance from Robert the Bruce in this period. Um, He's the first king to hold pretty much annual parliaments... So he has over 30 assemblies um, in his reign. This is where they're really gaining the consent of the community of the realm to give legitimacy to his kingship. Mm. So we have treaties, taxation, succession. All of these things are ratified by Parliament. It's not just the king issuing Mm. decrees willy-nilly. 1326 Parliament is the first one to include representatives of the burrs, the market traders. Right. That's brilliant, isn't it? Mm. He's got a very capable Chancellor in the form of Bernard of Arbroath. Bernard. That's because of Westwell. I'm saying Bernard. <laughs> yeah. And Bernard of Arbroath, who is the one that probably wrote the Declaration of Arbroath, surpasses the annual output of charters and letters patent under Alexander III. This is from a period of really just having to fight for survival to then really fully functional government.
1: Yeah, like um, every cog of governance going there. Um, civil war and property
2: disputes was quite awkward because lots of people disinherited people who come back onto the Bruce side who had Lost their lands to somebody else and now they're back and they want it back. There's a lot of difficulties here where you could really see the country just tearing apart, with mm. all the nobles at each other's throats. Seems like he does pretty well to stabilise all of these claims through the court of law. So the, it does function quite
1: well despite all of the chaos. Which I'd that's going say on. was quite surprising actually, because normally with these situations we've seen from previous Rex Factor, when you get someone whose uh, dynasty perhaps isn't so secure at the start, mm. they put their cronies in charge and they, they control everything. Don't put it to law. Mm. It's great. And diplomacy
2: is pretty good as well. He restores the old alliance with France in 1326 with the Treaty of Corbie, renews the northern trade route with Norway, and the commercial links with the Low Countries and the Hanseatic towns. And the Pope does eventually lift the interdict and the excommunications. And what's more, as a final... Success for Robert the Bruce, right at the end, he grants the use of holy oil to anoint the monarchs in coronations.
1: I mean, they're running out of superlatives to <laughs> this chap, but <laughs> so they're, they're now he's been recognised by Parliament, by other countries, by the Pope, by his own country, by the English, by God, by God, and he's got this, he's got his um olive oil as well, yeah, so he's on parity with England,
2: yeah. <sighs> There are some negatives to subjectivity. Mm. This is not the easiest of periods. In terms of the independence, the Declaration of Arbroath is great rhetoric, but didn't have a lot of impact at the time, other than maybe nudging the Pope to start changing his mind. The problem, though, with the Treaty of Edinburgh-Northampton is that Robert the Bruce is only a year away from dying at this point, and he's got an infant son. The treaty is very unpopular in England, and Edward III is determined to undo it. But for that year... But that year, (laughs) it's fine. But if you're a subject of Robert the Bruce, it's not an easy time to be alive. We've got that famine I mentioned, 1315 to 18, killed millions across Europe. It's also the ending of the medieval warm period. And apparently there's the eruption of Mount uh, Tarawera in New Zealand. Yeah,
1: and it causes... Was that the cause of the famine, actually, maybe?
2: Yeah, I think it was, yeah. And so the deprivations of all the warfare that's going on, and Bruce, of course wasting the land and it's Scottish land he's wasting to stop Edward II being able to supply his army mm. that's not great fun if you're a Scot in the region mm, no there's a cattle plague as well
1: oh, well it's, no it's not it's just loads of people <laughs> in so coats coats crawling <laughs> it's not his
2: fault though it's not his fault he does have some money troubles now you were saying how impre- we were saying we were both saying how impressive it was that he's able to deal with all of the land claims yeah and keep everyone happy but partly this is by just giving away a huge amount of royal land okay the problem with this is that um basically he doesn't actually have an awful lot of money coming in so under Alexander III this sort of royal uh, domain had about in 1264 he had an income of 5413 uh, pounds Ooh, of dear. which nearly 3000 came from crown lands in 1328 that's gone down to sort of £3,800 pound income with only £465 from Crown lands. Oh, wow. So Crown lands have gone down by thousands because he doesn't have any of the land anymore so it's not coming in. Mm. To the effect, that in 1326, he has to request a tax from Parliament where it says that the lands and rents which used of old to belong to his crown being so diminished that he had not maintenance becoming his station.
1: Goodness me, I hadn't even considered that. But that's... He solved. He had the means to solve a problem. and That's how he solved it. Mm. If, 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 for the sake of Scotland, which is this subjectivity bit, it's. I'm. I'm for the moment not fussed whether he's, um, you know, bedecked in ermine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is about being a subject, and exactly. his.
2: It shows good subjectivity that he's impoverished himself so much. Exactly. Solve the problem yeah. The flip side of that is that he's setting up problems for his successors because giving away all this land to other people means that he's got a lot of very powerful nobles mm. who in future their successors will be rich and powerful and the king will not yeah. have this land. The Stuarts, we will see, do have a lot of problems with nobles with a lot of power. The last thing against him is subjectivity is the brutality. Mm. Let's not forget he does acquire the throne by stabbing his rival to death in a church. Yep, brilliant. After defeating the Commons at Inverary, we have the harrying of Buchan, or Buchan, how mm-hmm. you pronounce it, inflicted appalling assault on their territory. Villages are burned, crops and cattle destroyed, local people massacred, the land left barren for about a generation. That's to ensure that the Commons have no support again. Mm. But it is that is really brutal.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does he have any problem with it again? No, check. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's not in Scotland, but he is pretty brutal to the north as well. He's effectively um gets paid by some towns not to attack. Um so apparently 1315 to 22 they raised 20,000 pounds just by bribing the northern English Brilliant. towns not to yeah. be massacred. Not all of them can pay that though, so others suffered burning and pillaging. It must be a bit like when the Vikings were coming along when they see the Scots coming off in the distance on the horizon. Yeah. It's that same sense of dread and terror. Yeah. yeah. And in Ireland, they're very unpopular, the Scots. The Annual of Loch Sea celebrated the death of Edward Bruce as the greatest deed done in the history of Ireland. Ooh. After the years of famine, the deprivation, the Scots were seen worse as the Eng- than the English. So they're very oh, glad dear. to be rid of them. Now, yeah. of course, this is before some of the stuff Cromwell come later, mm.
1: but nevertheless, you know... Yeah, that's pretty damning, isn't it? Mm. The... the poor irish it seems like the whatever goes on on the mainland they sort of then the rules don't apply when they go across the water yeah uh so
2: i mean it's still you might say that given the circumstances bruce has been doing a good job of getting things in order but
1: but for the majority of scots mm. they're now in they, they they are scots really i mean that's the full stop before yeah. they were under <laughs> the english yeah it's pretty good. Mm. And, yeah, so... And we've got to think of those two images of man in a cave looking at spiders <laughs> to fully-fledged government recognised around the world, blah, 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 with all of the bits and mechanics of government going on. Mm. I really like it. The brutality, I think, was to get to that point, and a lot of it was taking place not in Scotland. And you are so, an Edward the First fan. So. Yeah, so <laughs> I mean. I'm, I'm so surprised I'm saying this. But... um <laughs> As a Scot, I'm going to go with seven. I re I, 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 again <laughs> the Scottish thing. He he kept. It is Scotland now.
2: And you have that iconic thing with the Declaration of Our Birth, that incredible rhetoric yeah, that stands exactly. the test of time and all that sort of stuff. Yeah,
1: there's not. I'm tempted to go back to up to eight because I think the only the the bad stuff is a lot of a lot of stuff that is necessary to get to a point. Hmm. I'm going to go with eight because I feel I want to want to push a score up. If you go <laughs> <Yeah>, low. <yeah. laughs>
2: Well, I'm going to go ever so slightly lower, the seven and a half. Okay. I just feel like going slightly sub eight does recognise that there is a lot of hardship. There's a lot of nastiness. Yeah. I think going. On. I mean, I think there'll be a lot of people who would have been in Scotland at the time who, for whom, it would just have been lots of random nobles fighting each other, and you might not have felt a lot of yeah affinity towards the guy that's come in and raided and burnt the castle and
1: not caring about the and uh, the concept of a Scotland because yeah. you just want a parsnip yeah. next week for dinner. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But it's still, nevertheless, impressive. Given the circumstances he's in, mm. he's not just a warlord. He's obviously capable at doing the bureaucracy and the admin as yeah. well.
1: Yeah. So that's
2: a 15.5 for subjectivity.
1: Longevity.
2: He rules from the 25th of March, 1306, to the 7th of June,
1: 1329.
2: 23.? So that's right, 26.25 <laughs> years. Which, uh, when put into our uh, new. Ediometer gives a score of 13.5 out of 20.
1: Dynasty! Not the problem.
2: In the end, he has three surviving legitimate children. So his first wife, Isabella of Mar, who apparently was descended from the Flewellyn the Great, said to be in a love match, but sadly she died soon after the birth of her daughter Marjorie. Hmm. And Marjorie actually predeceases Robert, so he doesn't get any score. From that first marriage Oh dear but his second wife Elizabeth Bird despite being in prison For eight years Produced two daughters And then in 1324 Twin sons Oh Though one of those John dies Ah, oh. uh, But still he has a son And two daughters So that's three children Which gives him a score Of six out of twenty For dynasty
1: Can I ask a practical question At this point
2: Yes Twins Now they don't stipulate which one would have been older Some historians wonder whether the one that was called John Might have been older Because perhaps he was seeking to erase John Balliol from history So if this had been King John It would have been King John I
1: Oh gosh, that's clever
2: But we don't actually know Anyway, that gives Robert the Bruce a stonking score of 71 Which is the best score we have had thus far By how much? Uh, Well, not by a massive amount actually Because Malcolm III has scored 69.5 Was that
1: murderous Malcolm?
2: Fertile Malcolm Okay. <laughs> the best dynasty yeah. score. Okay. Still, Robert the Bruce, the best score we've had yet, but that does not, of course, guarantee him yeah. our final award. Mm-hmm. Does he have that certain something, that great achievement, that lasting legacy, the star
1: quality that we call...
2: Rex Factor!
1: I would argue, Graham, mm. that this man not only has the star quality required for Rex Factor, mm. but he is potentially the blueprint for all Rex Factor winners of both series. Yeah. <laughs> this is absolutely incredible. And the position we'd been in
2: before with John Balliol and yeah. Margaret the Maid of Norway and the tragedy of Alexander III.
1: Oh, just, I mean, if we're honest, pretty much all Scottish monarchs before <laughs> yes. this. They were, we were trying to find a bit, oh, he did a raid, oh, oh uh, he got burnt in his bed. Brilliant, right. <laughs> this was never going to happen to this man. He's kind of basically taken... A series
2: worth, and in a nation's worth of battliness and just done it all in one race. Yeah.
1: yeah, 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 And he didn't neglect his scandal. No, he tried to do a, a post Beckett Beckett. Yeah, um, certainly had a lot, a lovely time with the ladies, mm. and and the subjectivity bit. There's, you know, there's government, there's Scotland, there's the Declaration of Our Both. Mm. If anyone is going to be there, <laughs> waving their favourite little axe. It's this man standing in stirrups and bearing it in an Englishman's head. Yeah, it's a yes.
2: It's a yes for me as well. It's a it's an incredible reign. Yeah, it's brilliant. He's one of those where like it's you go into it thinking, well, obviously Robert the Bruce, <laughs> but I think it I think it matches up when you look at the uh, the events. I think it does. Uh, he, the
1: legend is deserved. It exceeded all my expectations. <laughs> I, I had a knowledge of the highlights, yeah. but not thinking that they were there for the re- same thing that we've seen a lot of previous Scottish history because that was it. But yeah. no, all of his downtime <laughs> is spent being amazing. Really so nice. that
2: is a yes for Robert the Bruce. Well done. has the Rex Factor. He joins various others on that Rex Factor mountain, but perhaps standing a little higher. Yeah, yeah. a little. So, uh, thank you for listening. If, by some bizarre um, scenario, you think we got that decision wrong, you can let us know on Twitter, at Rex Factor Pod. Get involved in the discussions on the Facebook page mm-hmm. and like us, or... Email us, for at com, or go onto the WordPress site and the blog, and you can do the polls to say whether or not you think they deserve it or not. If you like to support the podcast, you can do so. Leave a review on iTunes. That's very helpful. Helps people notice us, and we think it probably helps us go up the charts um if you would like to um support us financially that would be very very lovely of course you can do a one-off donation on paypal or you can do crowdfunding Mm -hmm. where you pay us every month and you get to join the privy council yeah and the various rewards for joining everybody gets access to our privy chamber bonus content that we do after each recording we do a little behind the scenes chat and reflection two dollars a month you get a comment read out $5 a month, you get free access to all our special episodes, which usually you have to pay a couple of dollars for. $10 a month, you get a lovely Privy Councillor mug. $15 a month, you also get to commission a blog on the subject of your choice. And $25 a month, you get to commission a podcast special on the episode of your choice. And get a T-shirt.
1: Yes, and uh, we're in the process of designing those, and they're fit.
2: Mm. And thank you very much to some of our new Privy Councillors. We've got Charlie Durrant, Charky Boy, Azana... Musquerietta, Jedda Lily, Laura Bates, Julia Lamore, Chris Grafton, Steve Loffler and family, Matt Trollinger,
1: Rennie Barnes and Heather Willis. Arise, you legendary lot. That's lovely. Thanks so much for joining us and looking forward to seeing you all in the Privy Chamber. So, that is
2: it for Robert the Bruce. Very, very impressive stuff. Yeah. Next time we'll be back with his son, David the Second, who's got rather a lot to live up to. And a pretty heavy English king on the doorstep. Indeed. Edward III is not going to like all of this. We'll see how it
1: goes next time. Cheerio!